I've heard people say, well, if you want a part of the hundred million dollars, just play better, right? It's, it's a meritocracy. Just play better. Just play better. It's funny that Patrick Cantlay played the best out of any PGA tour golfer the year that he won the FedEx cup, won the Super Bowl of our, of our tour and didn't get a dollar from the pit program. And so what part of play better fixes that part, that portion of, you know, where that money is, is allocated towards or who it's allocated towards. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another Fire Drill podcast. We have a very intriguing guest today, but before we get to him, uh, a quick word of thanks to our sponsors, um, ma- doing, making these podcasts, doing journalism in general takes resources. We're very grateful for those who help us, the Fire Pit Collective, uh, keep the lights on. So thank you to uh, Parpoints, the most interesting golf scoring app there is. You've heard us talk about it before. It just makes the game a little different, a little more fun, awesome for families, buddies trips, um, or if you just want to make you know shake things up and make it a little bit different, go to the App Store and download PowerPoints. You will not regret it. And uh, Dormy Workshop, they make beautiful handcrafted leather goods. If you go to FirePitCollective.com and you click on the Pit Shop, that uh, where we sell all our our logoed stuff. There's uh, there's some really neat collaborations between us and, and Dormy. And uh, check out Dormy's own website. They have all kinds of things that you might enjoy and will improve your life in some small way. So check it out. Now to our guest today, PGA Tour veteran, James Hahn. Um, James, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to you know, talk about some interesting topics and looking forward to the fireworks. <laughs> I thought we were just going to talk about Cal Golf, but okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> talked me into it. Uh, well, all right, so James, for, for most of your career, you've been known by your slightly quirky biography, you know, former shoe salesman, and then... You're known as a guy who was winning tournaments on big time courses, Riviera and Quail Hollow. And, you know, you've been out there a decade now. And uh, this year you've morphed into a unicorn. You are the rare PGA Tour player who's publicly supportive of Live. And uh, you've you staked out some uh, some cutting edge um, positions on Twitter. So uh, walk me through this evolution. I mean, obviously these these um the premier golf league and then the saudi golf league then live golf this stuff has been knocking around for a while and um but very quickly people had to choose sides so at what point did you did you realize you wanted to try and and be either a peacemaker or at least a voice of reason in in the professional golf world yeah uh that's a great question so um you know i i do have a lot of friends that play on the live tour i have a lot of friends that play on the pga tour i have friends that are supportive of both i have friends that you know, hate the live tour. And I have, uh, you know, friends that love both tours. And so for me, um, how I got into this was basically, uh, you know, the, the pot calling the the kettle black or or something along (laughs) those lines is that it was so one-sided, right. That, uh, as soon as the live came out and people were deflecting and going to the, that tour, that, we were throwing these guys under the bus. We were calling them names, um, just saying everything that we can to have people uh, 
support their views of how they see the live tour. Right. And so for us as a player, as a person that's inside the bubble, you know, it was another player who decided to go to um, another tour for a better opportunity in their eyes financially. Right. Um, And so, you know, we can go through all the different narratives of, you know, people saying, you know, if he, if so-and-so said that they were leaving for the money, I would respect them a lot more, you know, things like that. And so, um, you know, and then for me as a, as a player, like, you know, I've more or less considered, you know, what my number would be if I decided to, to, to go to live or like, you know, everyone has a number, you know, we're in the locker room. It's like, well, what's your number? What's your number? You know, everyone's got a number, right? And what's your number? Or some people have a number so big that it's just unreasonable, right? Um, yes. Wait, so, tell us your number now. What, you've been yeah. just telling me. You need a number. Come on, give us a number. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't tell you my number. I mean, it's it's you know it's definitely in the millions, right? But um, for me, it's it's what am I giving up, right? So I'm right. You know, on that topic, you know, I would like to play the Champions Tour. I'd like to play further um, along in my career uh, as long as I can. Um, and so right now it seems like you either have to, to pick one tour or the other. Um, I feel like, you know, after the lawsuit next year, who knows what, what can happen, you know, can someone play both tours? And so I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that more in depth. Uh, I mean, I've always felt like that. And, you know, I've been to a handful of the live events and of course I've been to many PGA tour events and I feel like that's the player's dream, right? Is you could keep your, your tour membership. You could play your favorite events and you could cherry pick some of the live tournaments. Um, like that, that is what everyone would, would love to have no matter what they say publicly. Right. Am I correct in right. that thinking? Absolutely. I mean, it's so that that's another, you know, thing of, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up of, uh, for example, Patrick Reed playing in all these events and everyone saying, you know, oh, I thought they wanted to play less events. I thought they they wanted to play less. You know, that was one of the reasons to spend more time with the family. And, you know, I understand that. But you could, you know, the the other side of it is there's a lot of weeks throughout the year that we play golf and that we enjoy playing and we love competing. Right. And so 14 tournaments to work only 14 weeks out of the year, I feel like might not be enough. You know, some of these guys love to compete and they miss the competition. Um, but to be obligated to play, you know, 25, 30 events a year, you know, if you're trying to play both tours, um, I feel like is unreasonable. And so, um, you know, everyone's saying, you know, play less golf tournaments and yeah, you know, we average like 25 to 28 tournaments. Yeah. I mean, 14 tournaments is less than 25, but guess what? So is 15. So is 16. So is 17, you know? So it's like every one of these tournaments that they add is still under the average that they would have had in the past few years and the uh, years going, going forward. Yeah. Well, and I mean, Liv has been very clear to say, if you, if you join us, you have to play all our tournaments, but we don't care what you do in the other weeks. You, you can play anywhere you want. I mean, they're, they're right. trying to make it clear that their players have that freedom to go right. to the European tour, go to the PGA tour, whatever they can finagle. So uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, even, even, Tiger or Jack in their prime when they had played limited schedules to try and be competitively hungry. I mean, they were playing 17, 18, 19, 14 is that's probably not enough to really be sharp. So right. I, I think, and it's, I think it's, right it's also that. very ironic that, you know, uh, we're calling out the live players and well, now they're, you know, employees, they have to play these 14 events. Well, guess what the PGA tour rolled out here. Uh, I think it goes into effect this season 
is that in order for someone to um, be eligible for the PIP money is that they are obligated to play in 20 events this season, right? Which includes the majors, the playoffs, um, elevated events. And so it's almost like the PGA Tour saying, oh, 14 events, well, we'll one-up you and we'll go 20 events. And so to me, it's like, you know, it's very hypocritical for us to call out live players for doing this when now we are almost doing the exact same thing. And so that's where I feel like the narrative has kind of shifted. It's like, well, you know, before Rory was saying, um, you know, about the world ranking points, you know, if they decided to leave, so they shouldn't get any world ranking points, this and that. And he's so one-sided. And then two months later, he's saying, well, if Dustin Johnson's ranked over 100 in the world, then it's not a true reflection of how good of a golfer he is. And therefore it, the world ranking system, um, is not fair. Yeah. I'm curious, how much blowback have you gotten from your colleagues or even uh, some of the minders in Ponte Vedra Beach for, for your public statements that are supportive of live? Yeah. Um, the, the people that get paychecks from the PGA tour at Ponte Vedra, uh, for the most part, you know, they understand that I have a voice, that I have um, my own views that they may, might not necessarily agree on. And it's, uh, you know, they're very respectful of it. You know, they listen, but they also question like, well, you know, what are some of the things that we can do differently to better the PGA Tour? Right. And so now they're rolling out with all these things, incentives for us to play on the PGA Tour. Um, as far as players, caddies, club reps, fans. I can't tell you how many people in person have come up to me and said, you know, thank you for finally saying what people want to say, but they might not necessarily have the platform or have the courage to say, because there is a lot of backlash for that I'm getting just for not really being in support of live, but not against live, right? It's almost like right. if you're not against live, then you're for live. And if you're for live, that means you're against the PGA Tour. It's like connecting the dots, right? And so uh, it's it's so it's gotten so political at this point that you either have to pick a side between left and right. And if you're in the middle, then you're wrong altogether, right? Um, so I feel like, you know, I'd hate for us to live in a world where we're so divided between live and PGA Tour. And it just ruins the game because it's ruining um, politics. It's ruining families. It's ruining friendships. Um, I'd like to see a world where they possibly, you know, get together and, and coexist. But I, I feel like the anti-live fans and, and golfers are uh, against that idea. Yes. Well, you're an idealist, James. I respect it. Um, but it's hard, hard, it's hard to maintain that innocence. Uh, but at the same time, this podcast is really an outgrowth of, you know, of some Twitter exchanges we had in the last few days. And you did brand me anti-live, which I don't think is, is quite accurate. You know, I, I've tried to be very much down the middle. And whenever I, I get I get it from both sides, you're a PJ Tour shill or you're a live hater. Like, I, I kind of, it's almost 50, 50, I think people calling me, um, you know, calling me out on both sides, which I think tells me I'm probably doing my job somewhat. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean like the folks that live golf have, have told me to my face, like, thank you for your coverage. You know, we appreciate you having an open mind and, and being fair. So I'm like, geez, maybe I'm too, being too soft on them. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, but you're right. If, if you, if you try and play it down the middle, then everyone's mad at you. It's almost easier right. to just stay, t pick a side and stand pick on the side. rooftops and, and shout, which is what a lot of obviously other 
people in the golf media are doing, but I'm, I'm trying to avoid that and bring a little subtlety to the, the conversation, but it can, it can get lost. And I, I would, and I, I do respect that you do play down the middle. You're getting it from both sides, which pretty much means that you're doing it the right way. I mean, um, I remember, you know, even a few months back that, you know, even talking about live or promoting live or even showing anything good about live was a no, no, right? Like it was, you know, the PGA tour and only the PGA tour. And if you talk about the live tour in a, in a good way, then you're against us. You're not, you're not in the boys club. Right. And so, um, how things have changed is like when Brooks Kepka just won this last week, you know, you see journalists and reporters congratulating Brooks Kepka on, a, on another win on, a, you know, uh, you know, his winless drought and all this stuff. Um, you know, it's the, it's changing to where, um, it's normalizing the live tour in the golf ecosystem. Right. And so before it, you know, I, I like to compare things. I like a, a lot of like analogies and stuff, but it's almost like, um, Tesla when they first came out, right. Uh, when Tesla first came out, everyone was like, Oh, they're not going to, you know, they're, they're not going to be successful. Even three or four. I remember having a conversation with my financial advisor. I said, Hey, what do you think about adding Tesla to my portfolio? And he's like, Oh, they're going to go under in the next few years. Oh, I would, would never recommend investing in Tesla and this and that. Now it's normal to where it's kind of cool to have a Tesla. Like, let's be honest. Right. Um, and so I feel like we're kind of in the beginning stages of that where, you know, live golf, it's live versus PGA tour, but two, three, five years down the road, we could actually be in an environment where, you know, it's kind of cool to watch both on TV. Well, so the, the, the critics would of, of Live Golf would say that the normalizing is the problem, that that is the entire reason that this exists is, you know, the Saudi Arabian government is trying to normalize its relationships with the Western world. And that is the ultimate goal of sports washing. And so, you know, people have, I get this a lot, you know, you shouldn't even report on it. You shouldn't even talk about it because you're normalizing it. And it's a valid critique given, you know, who's providing the money. You know, my rebuttal is it's just one of the biggest stories in, in golf this century. And in, in my position, I can't ignore it. There, there's just too much at stake here for the game. And, and um, it's just too big a story. But, um, you know, that what is what is what is, would be your rebuttal to that? That even by talking about live and saying, you know, I, I think it has some merit that that you're serving as an agent of propaganda for Saudi Arabia. That's a great question. That's something that um, I've been thinking about and I, I kind of knew you were going to ask that question. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it is a big issue. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to deny it. You know, the, the human rights um, problems that they have in Saudi Arabia. Um, if there is any chance that the, the, the government you know, the people that are um, the Saudi golf fund, right, that is sponsoring the live or putting money into the live. Um, if that has any influence on how they proceed as a country and make changes, change, being able to change their human rights um, regulations in their country, if that has any positive influence for their country on whether or not, you know, they've invested billions of dollars into this live golf. And, you know, if they, if something bad happens, you know, I'm sure the first thing that goes to their mind is not thinking like, Oh, you know, I wonder how the, our live golf fans are going to handle this or going to take this, you know, we need to make a really good decision here because we can't lose our fan base. But if there's any like a 
even a 1% of them even considering that, then could you say that live golf may or may not have a positive influence on the human rights in Saudi Arabia? Does that make any sense? I, I'm have a hard time with my words, but if, um, yeah, no, it does. I mean, from, from the standpoint, the people who say, well, this, uh, you know, live, what if, if MBS wakes up tomorrow and he doesn't want to waste any more money on golf and live will just blow away like tumbleweed. And my rebuttal is that, so I've, you know, the, the guys who run the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia are probably the most powerful people on the planet who are not heads of state. And their top two guys have been at every live event. It's uh, his excellency, Yasser Al-Rumayan, and then his, his deputy, this guy named Majid. And they play in the pro-ams and they zip around in their cart and they'll play a couple holes with Dustin. They'll play a couple holes with Phil, a couple holes with Bryce. And like they're having the greatest time of their life and they're on the first tee and they're dapping up the players and you can see the joy this has brought them to be in, in this, this inner circle and to get this acceptance. Um, and who knows what quiet conversations are happening, whether it's with former president Trump or it's just captains of industry who come out and play in the pro-am. And so, they have bought access to the Western world in a way that they've always craved. And it's hard to put a price tag on that, but it has tremendous value. And on an interpersonal level, you know, every Tuesday night at, at the tournaments, they host a party, um, you know, uh, and the players come and they're drinking 2000 uh, Bordeaux and they're having a great time. And these guys are the center of it all. And so now as they go out in, into the world as these, representatives of the Saudi Arabian government, like they have been exposed to a lot of uh, culture in the United States, in, in England, at the Centurion Club, wherever they've, they've gone and they've been the toast of the town. And so I think in that regard, those, those two men who run the PIF could have, I, I could see where Liv has affected their thinking and they don't want this party to end. They don't want, they don't want the, the public investment fund or the government to do something so bad that all of a sudden they're so toxic. They can't be on the first tee anymore and they can't play with Trump at, at Bedminster and they can't do all these things that they're, they're enjoying. And so, um, again, these guys hold all the cards in global finances. And so to see how much joy live golf has brought them, um, I really think that what you're saying there, there is some merit there just on an interpersonal level. Now, um, you know, I don't I also, think the MBS. Oh, go ahead. I also feel like it, it goes both ways, right? And so not only have they bought into our Western world and our way of thinking, but we've also infiltrated, you know, their inner circle, right? Mickelson has an opportunity to talk to his excellency on a weekly basis if he wanted to, on a daily basis, right? Like we've oh, yeah. we've gone into, you know, their men's club, right? And so um for me, I'm, I'm 41 years old uh, and I grew up listening to a lot of hip hop and rap growing up, right? And so one of the things that I still remember to this day was um, uh, there was a, a clip of Tupac, Tupac Shakur. He's a rapper back in the days. A lot of the young kids won't remember him, but this dude was legit. Oh, come on. Everyone knows Tupac. Everybody knows Tupac. Okay. Knows I, Tupac. I don't know. I mean, the younger kids these days, you know, uh, they still play it on the radio, but um, he was like way before his time. But anyways, they asked him... I believe it was when, uh, you know, Bush senior was in office and they had asked him, you know, if Bush, uh, invited you to the white house, would you go right? And in the past few years, uh, you know, in the Trump era that, you know, a lot of athletes were asked to go to the white house. And as you know, that all of them decided not to go to the white house, you know? And for me, you know, it, I always go back to this Tupac quote and he goes, 
why wouldn't I go to the go to the White House? He goes, I have an opportunity to talk to the man in charge, to talk to the president and tell him the problems of the inner city and all the problems that I have um, that are you know in this world that he has an opportunity to change. He goes, well, so why wouldn't I want a one-on-one conversation with the man, right? And so for our athletes to turn down the opportunity to talk to Trump and you know not to get political, um, but if there's even an opportunity to have him think about some of the things that he's doing and some of the things that he will do in the future, I feel like goes the same way with his excellency in Saudi Arabia. We have an opportunity to, you know, possibly help him make the right decisions going forward. You know, it's like the movie inception, like we're, we're in it right now, you know, in a dream and a dream and a dream and like we're in it and we're so close. I mean, how awesome would it be if 10 years from now, right. Uh, the human rights gets better. And, you know, and this, this is me just, you know, being very optimist, right? 10 years from now, the human rights getting better. Um, just for a, on a scale between like, um, you know, women's rights to uh, just everything, you know, I don't want to name too many, too many things, but, um, and for them to change and then asking him 10 years from now saying, you know, what changed your mind? And, him saying possibly, you know, I had a, I played a golf round with Dustin Johnson and he seemed bothered by it. And, you know, I felt like I needed to do something like that would be pretty cool. Right. I don't know if that's going to happen, but the fact that there's even an opportunity for that to happen, I feel like, you know, it, there's a good, I think, you know, the risk outweighs the reward. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it's funny to imagine Phil Mickelson setting the global financial markets during the pro-am at a whispering <laughs> in the ear of, of his excellency, but I mean, I wouldn't put it past Phil for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's a very philosophical question. I mean, can sport be an agent of change? I think most people would say yes. Um, and uh, you know, I, I did, I did a big story on um, Masai Ujiri, he was the uh, the GM for the, or still is of the the Raptors, and uh, you know he founded this thing called Giants of Africa, and it was he's he's brought hundreds and hundreds of kids over to play college basketball from from the continent of Africa, wow. and some of them have gone on to play pro ball. Many have, have gotten into uh, executive positions and done great things in their lives. That have nothing to do with with basketball, and you know that that's it's he's won an NBA title as a GM, but that that organization means more to him than anything and it really has affected the trickle-down effect from how all these these kids lives have changed and what it's done for their families when it's done for their own kids and it's very powerful and of course there's many other examples whether it's youth on course or it's the first tee I mean I think I think generally we accept that sports can be an agent of change so yeah. um, the question is is can a place like Saudi Arabia evolve through sport I mean it, it's an unknown and I, I think you have to be a little bit of a dreamer to uh, at the, the current moment, but it's, you just have to chip away at these things. So maybe the answer is yes. And maybe live golf plays a role. And, um, but the, you know, that, that is, that is a hotly contested idea in, in this context, but I, I you know, Tupac is right on some level. You got to go talk to the man, gotta talk and, to the uh, man. And, and hear what he has to say. Side yeah. note, I was the first guy on the Slingest High basketball team to discover NWA. What? And yes. No, hip-hop has always been <laughs> That's my, so awesome. Good my for thing. you. But I, to me, those guys were incredible journalists. Like, you know, what, they, what they taught listeners everywhere about, about real life was powerful. And so, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's 
interacting with different cultures and, and seeing the world is, is a powerful tool. And uh, so whether yeah. it's music, I mean, it's also like, I don't see it going. If you were, if you were played devil's advocate, I don't see it going the other way. You know, I don't see uh, his excellency having a conversation with Phil all of a sudden being so pissed off that he's going to raise gas prices and, you know, do what he's doing in his country ten tenfold. Right. And so, um, you know, it, I, I see it from both both directions. One of the things that I was also thinking about um, is when people criticize the players who are suing the PGA tour. Right. And so, you know, there's a narrative of, you know, I would be okay if they just didn't sue the PGA tour. Uh, The, my response to that is they're not suing the tour for monetary damages. They're not suing them for millions and millions of dollars. They're just suing them for the right to play golf. And so my rebuttal to that is, you know, we were allowing football players. Tony Romo played in, in one of the, the, the events, you know, I've Jerry Rice played in a professional event. Um, we had an, a retired tennis player, Marty Fish, just playing the three M open here a few months back. And so we're allowing non golfers, right. Non-professional golfers to compete in a professional golf event, taking away a spot from, you know, someone who could be eligible or would be willing, uh, more deserving of that spot. But yet we won't invite Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka or Bryson DeChambeau into a golf tournament. We can't invite um, Kevin Na, who's a two-time past champion of the Shriners Hospital Open. And um, they're just fighting for their right to be invited into a golf tournament. And so um, we'll find out later or early next year uh, of how that pans out. And so, um, you know, that's just a big one of the big topics uh, as well of, of kind of where we are right now in, in golf. Yeah. I mean, the, the battle between not only the, the tours, but also players within the system. Like, let me read a quote that you had um, that I thought was really interesting. And I want to get into this. He said, the secret meeting with Tiger and Rory set a precedent that the top 20 players can get whoever they want from the tour can get whatever they want from the tour. So what's stopping the other 90% of our tour from getting together and doing the same exact thing as Rory and Tiger and saying the top 20 players can go play their own tournaments, but the rest of the tour, us 90% stand together and we want more benefits. I feel like a portion of the hundred million dollars could have gone to making the tour great rather than going to the top 20. These are little things that irritate the rest of the membership to the point. There's a lot of animosity between the haves and the have nots. I would call it the haves and the have mores, but yes, um, I, that, yeah. if I had to redo that statement, that's the one thing that I, <laughs> people are clear, you know, it, it's and when you're doing an interview, just stuff comes out of your, you know, oh, your I know. mind. And I should have said haves and have mores. <laughs> but, right. but the larger point is, is, is true that the, the PGA tour has now created this cast system where the top 20 guys, or maybe a few more, but the elite have, have access to incredible amounts of money and everyone else is getting, some benefit, but even the half million dollars, you, you have to play really bad the PG Tour not to make a half million dollars yes. in earnings. Even a, even yeah. a crappy year, you're going to scrape it around and, and make yes. something close to that. So that's not really free money. That's just an advance. I mean, it's helpful for sure, yeah. especially for young players or struggling guys. You can you can pay your coach and you can like, – it has benefit. There's no question, but it's not really free money like right. the PIP or and something. Even the, the half million dollars isn't, isn't a half million dollars – net you know what i mean it's like yeah we have two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of expenses and then we're also having to pay taxes on that so it's like all said and done 
some of the guys are, are making just over a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars. If you're making, uh, you know, five hundred thousand um, dollars on yeah. the PGA tour, and so that that also stemmed from uh, a little bit of um, frustration, I guess, uh, from the the things behind the scenes that fans and reporters are not aware of. So uh, I'll give you an example um, in Napa this year, as well as the Sanderson Farms uh, golf tournament, we had to pay for our own rental car for the week. Right. And so two tournaments that are non-elite, right. I don't ever remember going to a player's championship, a Bay Hill, even Tigers tournament and having to rent my own car. Right. And it's, for me is that they've set, they've set a standard on the PGA tour. You know, when you fly in, we're going to have transportation ready for you. We'll have a courtesy car, whether it's, you know, a BMW, Lexus, Cadillac, or even sometimes where they do rent cars for us, but they pay for it and they have it waiting for us outside. It's very convenient for us. Right. Um, and so to have a standard on the PGA tour and to be, and have that standard taken away from you, I feel like is a blow to the tour. Um, but to also question why, you know, and it's it's a it's a question about, you know, who's paying it? You know, where's the money coming from? Yeah, you know, we can't right. afford, uh, the sponsor can't afford, the tournament can't afford having courtesy cars, but then seeing a big chunk of money, a hundred million dollars going to the top 20 golfers in, you know, on our tour as far as popularity, right? right. I mean, I, I always bring it back to um, when, you know, uh, I've heard people say, well, if you want a part of the hundred million dollars, just play better, right? It's, it's a meritocracy. Just play better. Just play better. It's funny that Patrick Cantlay played the best out of any PGA tour golfer the year that he won the FedEx cup, won the Super Bowl of our, of our tour and didn't get a dollar from the pit program. And so what part of play better fixes that part, that portion of, you know, where that money is, is allocated towards or who it's allocated towards. Um, yeah, so it, it, to me, it's like, I, I just, I don't understand it. You know, like, well, so my question to you is like, how, how widespread is the discontent among, let's say the rank and file, the PJ tour, the guys who are not in the top 20? I mean, is, is there a lot of unhappiness with the, the current state and the changes that the tour have made? Uh, so <laughs> when, when you have a couple people negotiating for the 20 guys, right? And the 20 guys isn't just the 20 guys. It's the 30 to 40 guys that could potentially move into the top 20, right? right. And so for these 40 guys, for a few individuals to make the rules for the entire group, there are is, is going to be um, some disagreements on – how far they feel like they should go. So for example, they, for the, the new PIP program, they're obligated to play in these 20 events. Well, there is, I can tell you that I, without naming names, at least five to 10 guys that don't really agree with that. They're like, well, I don't want to be obligated to play in these elevated events. I want to be able to pick my own schedule. That's why yeah. you know, we're independent contractors and, you know, being able to do what I want to do. If it's my daughter's graduation week, I don't want to have to play in this golf tournament, which, um, you know, then, then it comes like uh, the next process is, well, what's the penalty for missing this event? Well, not only do you not get pit money or you get a reduced amount, there should be some kind of consequence because like we're providing so much money up front that 
we're almost guaranteeing a certain product. And if you don't provide that product, like what are the repercussions? And so now we're at a point where like, we're still conflicted on what this new product will be. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of people that are not happy with the new product that um, were in that secret meeting. And I call, only call it secret meeting because that's because kind of what it's been labeled these days. Oh no, it's, it's a great term. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned the 90%. I mean, this is actually something that, that, that Phil has been harping on forever is that, you know, the superstars drive the game, but they're, they're outvoted by the rank and file. There's a lot more guys who are, you know, 50 to 150 on the money list than there are top players. And that, that there's a, the, the everyday tour player has an outsized influence because there's just more of them. And so obviously what Tiger and Rory did in their secret meeting kind of put a lie to that where the superstars can exert their influence. But you mentioned, you know, the silent majority, the 90%. I mean, why don't you guys unionize that? That's an idea that's been kicked around. <laughs> and, um, you know, golf is is really the only sport where the players don't have a union to advocate right. for them. So why not? Right. I mean, that's that's a that's a million dollar question right there. I mean, there's there are people that have considered, uh, but golf is such an individual sport. It's hard to get all, you know, I think there's over 200, close to 300 members to get all 300 members to agree on a certain topic and to make everyone happy because you have to, in order for that to be effective, you know, Rory would need to agree on certain topics of that. Um, gosh, I don't, I'm only saying his name. I'm not calling him out, but like Greg Chalmers, for example, right? Like they would have to agree on kind of how the money's being distributed. And obviously one is you know, possibly number one in the world. And Greg Chalmers is, um, you know, playing in few events because he's has conditional status. And so um, it's very hard to get all 300 people on the same page. Um, also, it's very expensive. And but also um, that's what the purpose of the board is, the player director board, um, as well as the pack. And we're supposed to represent um, the tour in the fairest way that we can. And, you know, for the most part, I feel like they're doing a good job. Um, it's just something rubs me a, a wrong way when uh, we, the pack as well as the player advisory board, um, agree on a certain topic and then Rory tiger and the secret meeting happens and throws a wrench into our plans. And all of a sudden everything that we've been working on the previous, you know, two or three months is scrapped from the board. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, no, it's, you know, the, the secret out of the secret meeting, this elite group of golfers want something different. So now we're going to change what we we're going to come out with and satisfy what they want. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like two meetings going on, one with the actual players and one with the commissioner um, and the secret secret meeting. Yeah. No, I mean, those guys just kind of subverted the entire process. And Monaghan, because he wants to keep his job, like he said, okay, great. I have rubber stamp that. I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> this policy, like, right. um, it was a very unusual situation. That's why it was so interesting. I mean, and even we, we can all agree that Tiger Woods has had an incredible influence on the sport. Um, but does it make sense for him to have any, any say in, in the future of the tour? Because he's not even going to participate in it really. I right. mean, it's clear that his, his playing days are, are very limited. So right. it's funny that Tiger of all people is, uh, is, is in charge in some ways when, you know, he, he, he has very few events in, in, in his future. So, right. um, and so I mean, it's also like, um, you know, we've created this pit to 
prevent guys from going to the live tour to give them more guaranteed money. Um, and Tiger had won the pip last year without ever playing in a golf tournament. And so it's like a, a royalty going to him of like, this is, you know, thank you for all that you've done over the years. And we're sorry that you, you feel like you've haven't capitalized financially on all the opportunities these last 20 years. And so we're going to make that up to you by giving you this guaranteed money um, in hopes of you staying on the PGA tour and you continuing your legacy. But you know, no other sports league does that. Like I don't think NBA pays Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or Kobe Bryant, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, all these like star athletes over the years and say, Hey, thank you that what you've done over the years, here's, you know, a percentage of our company here moving forward for, you know, for at the end of time. Like it's, to me, it doesn't make any sense. Sounds a little bit like socialism. I don't know how that's going to play in the locker room. You know, the guys who watch Fox news, they don't like socialism. Yeah. We're, just giving, we're just giving tiger free money for doing nothing, man. Like, right. I don't, um, that's good. Yeah, no, it's, but I, you know, on, on hindsight, I do agree that, you know, tiger, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be playing for the amount of money that we're playing for if it wasn't for Tiger. So yes, reward oh, yeah. him with something, um, but to give away a hundred million dollars a year, I feel like is a lot. How how much unhappiness is there among the tour membership that you know all of a sudden Liv shows up and the tour just turns a spigot on and millions and millions of dollars are flowing out of the reserve fund and and they're squeezing sponsors. It's like wow, you know. I mean, I think. It's like, oh, we just found two hundred million dollars in the couch cushions, guys. Like, sorry, we we've been sorry, we've been sitting on this for all these years. Here we go. Here's the money you deserve. Like, uh, that's I, I, that was the one of the biggest, you know, biggest things to come out of the whole live this whole experiment that we're in is that um, you know we're being trained and taught and you know uh, molded to dislike the live tour, but as a PGA tour player what they've done to our tour this year, next year, moving forward is amazing, right? We're playing for more money now, now that than we've ever have, we've accelerated our growth into uh, the purses to be able to keep our players, right? We've come out with a hundred million dollar pit program for the top players on our tour. And so, you know, you can kind of argue without the live tour, we wouldn't have all these things. We would still be playing for the, the purses that grow incrementally, from the previous year, but we wouldn't be playing for a hundred million dollars in the pimp. We wouldn't be playing for $25 million in the players championship. We wouldn't be playing for $20 million in tigers event um, at Riviera. And so, you know, in hindsight, they've actually made our tour a lot better. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's Phil Mickelson's whole, that's his whole position is like the, from go, even before live launched was that the tour is not doing enough for the players. And you know, I think in some ways he's been vindicated in all this. What what is your take on on the the rise and fall and rise again of Phil Mickelson through through this whole process? Yeah, that's a man. Um, personally, you know, I've been able to play with Phil several times on the PGA Tour. I think my personal experiences with him have always been great. You know, same with Bryson, same with Brooks. Um, those guys, they speak their mind. They're um, they're your non-traditional PGA tour member that if they have any problems with the tour, that they are free to speak their mind and kind of uh, tell you where they're coming from and back it up with real facts. Um, And, you know, it just kind of makes you see the other side of, of professional golf. Right. I mean, there's, 
this whole exercise, there's good and bad about the PG of what happens on the PGA tour pre, you know, Mickelson and the live tour, you know, I don't think there was one bad thing that the PGA tour has done ever. Right? You know what I mean? Like, it's like they were the golden child, like nothing that they do can ever be, you know, talked down upon or like they're giving so much to charity. They're changing people's lives. You know, they're putting so much money uh, into players' pockets and, you know, in charities and foundations and all that. But then now there's like a different side of it. And now it's like, a, you're starting to see uh, things unfold for both tours, but also, you know, the players that are involved. Do you think Jay Monahan survives all of this? <laughs> I, I, as a, as a current board member, I cannot answer that question. Um, <laughs> maybe in a couple months from now, when my time's up, uh, you know, I can probably give you a, a solid answer, but, um, you know, as far as we know, you know, that the tour is still surviving. We're having record numbers. Um, we have kept, uh, the majority of the players on tour and the stars that we needed to keep. Um, and so from that side of it, you know, yeah, he's, he stays on, on the, as commissioner, um, you know, I'm sure you can argue and a lot of players have argued the other side of it, um, that, you know, could he have done more possibly? Uh, but when you're going against Greg Norman and the, the Saudi golf fund, and you know, basically an unlimited, reserve that they're sitting on you know it's hard to compete against uh an entity like that yeah but the tour has done a good job competing i mean all the things we've talked about like they they've really the money is flowing now if if these changes that have, that have happened in the last few months if they had happened a year earlier before live had launched you probably could have held on to some of your players right, right. and to me that that's where the monday morning quarterbacking comes about is that monahan didn't seem to take the threat seriously enough or he didn't act fast enough like because clearly fundamental change can be brought to the pga tour quickly it happened in a week you know there was a meeting in delaware and then boom we're at the tour championship and here's all the new changes like right. it happened almost overnight so if, if he had done that a year earlier i think you absolutely could have blunted liz momentum in a huge way right. am, am i it's, right about that absolutely i mean the, the one of the biggest critiques about what we've done um, as well as the decisions that jay has made is that we're all, we're very reactive. You know, we're waiting for them to make a move and then we react to it. And then we wait for them to make another move and then we react to it. And so you're absolutely right. I mean, if we had come out with this PIP program uh, two years earlier, you know, could we have saved uh, some of the players? Possibly. I mean, we we don't know. It's, it's you know, hindsight's 2020. Um, but the fact that we've lost some of the, some of these big stars, um, you know, in, in in, in hindsight also that I think if we would have come out with this, the pit program a few years earlier, guys like Dustin Bryson Brooks would have gone anyways, just their number would have been exponentially larger. You know what I mean? Because they basically have to outbid the PGA tour in keeping the play, these players and they have an unlimited fund. And so if um, DJ's career earnings were projected to be $200 million after the pit program and the purse increases, I'm sure the Saudis would have just, written him a check for $400 million and just not even bat an eye. Our grass prices would have gone up a little bit. Uber prices would have gone up a little bit, but you know, that's just how, that's just how it is. Right. And so that's a dark thought that our gas prices are tied to live. They need to recoup their money. Let's be honest. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, if they, they were going to come out with this tour eventually, they were, they were ready. It was time. Um, and all they needed to do was 
you know, what's, what's everyone's number, right? Alan, what's your number? James, what's your number? You know, everyone's got a number and they just keep bidding back and forth until someone reaches that number. And then you start telling everybody, Hey, we got so-and-so on board. Um, you know, who's, who's next, you know, they're willing to write these checks. I mean, the thing about the number that's interesting is, and I think this is one of Monaghan's miscalculations is that he might've overvalued what the PGA tour means to some of its players. Like to me, I would say if I'm James Hahn, I want to go back to Riviera for the rest of my life. I want to go back to Quail Hollow. These are the greatest weeks of your life instead of playing, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Saudi Arabia with no fans. Like, um, you know, the energy at the LA Open is off the charts. And yes. and you've got, you know, every time you walk up the 18th fairway, you're going to remember what you did. And like, to me, that has so much value. But obviously, uh, you know, maybe we over-romanticize this because a lot of the players were just happy to take the money and walk away from the tour and their favorite tournaments and, you know, the volunteers that they've known for 20 years and the houses they stayed in, all these things that get written about in the local media, which... It sounds almost like BS now. Like, you know what? None of that really matters if, if, if the check arrives. So, right. I mean, how, let's, just, let's just say that, that Liv made you a great offer, whatever that number is. I mean, how hard would it be for you to walk away from the tour life that you know? Uh, honestly, it, it wouldn't be that hard to walk away. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Is that um, it was very mind-blowing when – uh, the year that I got injured, I had a partially torn tricep tendon. So having a great career up until then, never lost my car. Two, two wins on the PGA Tour, injured my right elbow, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm on I'm on medical. Um, I had to wait six months to start getting medical checks, um, and being able to being ready to to come back and playing in the confines of a medical. Um, status and being able to keep my card that year was extremely difficult. And so understanding that any injury that I have, and just as well as in any sport, um, could be the end of my career and that I'm disposable, that basically it's next man up, someone else comes up. Um, no one's really calling me and saying, hey, James, we really need you on this tour. Our tour is struggling without you, right? But understanding also that um, – Tiger Woods, uh, he, he's injured and the tour is still surviving and doing very well that they're just going to find the next person, you know, like it, it, we run in cycles. And so um, knowing kind of that any week now, any year that uh, my PGA Tour could, re- could be over, whether I don't play well or I'm injured, to have guaranteed money is something that's really difficult to turn down. Um, so I'm baking on myself that, you know, I'm going to stay healthy for the next 10 years, play on the champions tour and do all that. Um, but if there's a number out there, that's basically going to pay all that money. Um, and I gotta be very careful with my words, but (laughs) pay all that money up front to where, if I do get injured, that I will still have, um, the life that I live. I mean, you can see my house, it's not a, you know, it doesn't look like a, $15 $15 million house, right? I got the smallest house on the block. Um, you know, I got a 2015 Hyundai Genesis in the garage. Like I'm not driving Lamborghinis and stuff like, so $10 million is life-changing. So, but for a guy like Dustin, you know, hundred million dollars might not be life-changing because he already has a hundred million dollars. You know what I mean? So, um, I feel like each person has their number, um, of what really is life-changing. Um, and then being able to walk away from the game, um, I feel like is a, a legitimate question that a lot of 
PGA Tour players uh, are asked. Yeah, well, that's well said, and I appreciate your candor. And uh, you know, I, I think because golfers have such long careers, the fans don't think too much about how how much injury can can factor in a decision. But no doubt, for for Brooks and Bryson, that was certainly a factor. I mean, they've yeah. they've had serious injuries, and right. you see what happened to Will Zalatoris. I mean, that was the most expensive back injury in history, right? I mean, he's right. going to win the FedEx Cup maybe, and drops to thirtieth, and who knows what his future looks like. So it, it definitely. Uh, I think that that's a that's absolutely a legitimate concern, even even if it's not really forefront for for golf fans. But right, and it's uh, it's also like to be able, let's say, a couple of years from now, you know, if Brooks or Bryson had stayed on the PGA Tour and they were to have gotten injured, and they have a life or career-ending injury, right, they're going to regret it probably for a really long time. I'm not going to say the rest of their life because they do have you know, I've made some really good investments um, of not just taking the money. You know what I mean? Um, and so there's, it's hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, if you're going to stay healthy for the next twenty years, by all means, stay on the PGA Tour. Love to play on the PGA Tour um, and just make a legacy for yourself. But if there's even that one percent chance that you feel like you're going to get injured or you have had injuries in the past, it's easier to to take the guaranteed money than than to take a chance on your body. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about these things. And, you know, Twitter is, is so reductionist and it, it's hard to fully express yourself. But uh, I think the fans at home listening to this conversation will, will have a, a more a greater appreciation for your thoughtfulness and, and that you, you have ruminated on these things in a pretty deep way. So, um, right. And uh, one thing that I would like to, you know, to say is that I absolutely love the PGA Tour. Right. I, I get a lot of Twitter hate saying, you know, why don't you just join live? Why don't you, uh, you know, it seems like you hate the PGA tour so much. And it's like, I don't hate the PGA tour. It's like, I, I play on the PGA tour. You know, how can, how can someone hate the PGA tour and play on PGA tour and play a full schedule of 28 events? I, it, it, to me, it just, I don't understand it. Right. And so, um, I love what the PGA tour is doing. There's so many great stories. Um, I am, grateful for the opportunities that I've gotten the two tournament wins that I have had and hopefully more throughout my career being able to qualify for um, you know a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup definitely some goals of mine that I have um, but I can be mad I can in, I can love the PGA Tour and enjoy playing on the PGA Tour but also question some of the things that they're doing in the background right I can question why money is going not more towards you know the average to above average PGA tour player and only concentrated on the top players. And I understand the whole aspect of it, but um, you know, I, I can, I can question these things and I, you know, I have a opinion. I have a right to do that, but it doesn't mean that I tomorrow I'm just going to call up live and say, Hey, you know, I hate the PGA tour. I want to leave. You know, I love playing on tour. I love supporting these events. I love um, the fans that show up for it. And uh, you know, I plan on staying here for a really long time. So you're going to have to deal with me for a long time. <laughs> part of loving something is you want it to be better and like you know patriotism is not just blindly following what you're told it's it's questioning authority and it's advocating for change and i mean you can you can love america and you can but you can want it to be better it's mm. the same with anything so um i think i think that's a very uh, important point for you to make so um well, this, this this was this was an edifying conversation. I feel like we should do this a little more often. Let, let's try and let's let's sure. uh, next time there's a there's a, there's a reason to to 
continue this 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 discussion. Let's get back on here because Absolutely. I think your perspective is is definitely important for fans to hear. So James Hahn, thank you for doing this fire drill podcast. We'll we'll wrap it up here. This is Alan Shipnike. We will be back in your ear soon. Uh, and speaking for all golf fans, James, I think we hope you play well, make that Ryder Cup team. I mean that would that would be sweet. It's uh, you've had a, you've had quite a journey through golf, so I'm, I'm glad it's going to keep going. So, thank you very thank much. You. Thanks for uh, giving me an opportunity to just kind of express myself um, and not on the confines of, of Twitter. So thank you for the, uh, yeah, enjoyed it. I bet big and I played to win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. I ran the table, never thought I could fall. Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball. And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.